0: Psalm fifty one, and we read the first twelve verses please. The Psalmist David is writing, and he cries out to the Lord, saying, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto thy to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt shalt make me to know wisdom. And uphold me with Thy free spirit. Then there at verse twelve, and we'll just come before the Lord and ask His blessing upon His word. tonight. Our Father and our God, we thank You for those wonderful truths that we have already been singing about that man of Calvary. And Father, we thank You for Him tonight, and we thank You for the finished cross work of Calvary. And Father, we thank you that there's still room at the cross for many. And Father, we believe that the whosoever will shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Father, as we look at this great psalm tonight, we pray that you would speak. We pray that you would speak to those tonight that are outside of Christ and without a Savior. That they would cry out in repentance and faith unto thee. And Father, for the black backslider, that they would cry out with David... Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And Father, even if there's some tonight that are in the way but still grappling with sin, we ask that we would cry out tonight, Create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. So Father, we look to thee. We realize that we can do absolutely nothing without thee. And we look to you for your blessing tonight. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Whenever we come to Psalm fifty-one, we can we come to David's great prayer of confession after he committed a terrible sin. This is a sin that David he hasn't he committed it about a year previous to writing this, but still it's on confessed. The sin is recorded for us in Second Samuel chapter eleven, and many of you will know that narrative. I don't think David ever imagined whenever he sinned that God recorded in the Bible for the whole world to read. It's a that's as old as Genesis 4 and as up to date as what will happen tonight. David <coughs> was meant to be away fighting in the battle. But yet he stayed at home in the palace in Jerusalem and he went to the, up to the top of the palace and there he spotted a beautiful lady named Bathsheba. 2 Samuel 11 verse 2 tells us that the woman was very beautiful To look upon. David saw with his eyes. He liked what he seen. And so he asked his servants to go and find out who that lady was. David was a married man. David was the equivalent of what we call a New Testament Christian. David was a man who God had anointed to be king over Israel. But now here's David, a man, giving in to temptation. He sees. He inquires. And if that isn't enough, he acts upon that temptation. In an act of compulsiveness, he has a sort of one-night stand with this really Bathsheba. Seems as though he didn't really give much thought to that sin. Until he got a message from Bathsheba that would just shatter his word. Four four simple words. I am with child. So rather than confessing his sin to God and demand, he goes about to try and cover up his sin. He calls Bathsheba's husband back from the battle and he tries to get her to sleep with him, but that doesn't work. Because he's a man, he's a noble man, his countrymen are out fighting the war and he wasn't going to engage in such, such pleasure. So his plan doesn't work in night one. And he thinks to himself, well why am I going to get Uriah to cover up my, my sin? thinks within himself, you know, I'll get him drunken, and his drunken stupor, he's sick with Bathsheba, and there's my problem I'm solved. But Uriah never went home that night either. And David, he's in a real quandary here. Uriah is to go back to the battlefield. David made him that promise, and he'll send him back to the battlefield tomorrow. And David still hasn't found a way for Uriah to cover up his sin. And so he sends a letter to a man called Joab to tell him to have Uriah put to the front of the battle whenever the battle is hottest so that Uriah will be killed. Joab obeys those orders. Uriah is killed in the battle. David takes Bathsheba to be his wife and David thinks he's got it all sorted out and he has gotten away with sin. It was almost a year, unconfessed, covered up and then God sends his prophet, Nathan, and God calls out David for his sin. That the secret sin that has consequences. You see, he needs to learn that vital lesson that you can't sin and win. And the secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. And through the prophet, Nathan, God shatters David's defences. He taught him a great biblical principle that God wants to underscore in the meeting tonight. And it's found in Proverbs 28, verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Wonder tonight are you covering up sin that you've never confessed to God? You maybe never came to that point whenever you confessed that you're a sinner. You've never been forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never bowed the knee in repentance and cried out to God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Tonight you're outside of Christ and without the Savior. I must tell you tonight that if you remain in that sinful state, unforgiven, then there's eternal consequences for your sin. It means that hell awaits where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Eternal torment, eternal separation from God. But I want to tell you tonight that you don't have to go. I want you to see tonight that David's God, our God, is a God who is rich in mercy, a God who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And because of his great love towards you and I tonight, he's made provision through the death of his only begotten son, so that you should never perish. Here we, tonight there has been a time in your life when you have came to Christ, and you're saved tonight, but like David, during that year in the wilderness, you're in a backslidden state. You're like the prodigal son. You're in the far country tonight, spending your time, spending your money, spending everything on the pleasures of the world, which just last for a season. Tonight, maybe you're trying to get everything from to find satisfaction, and there is none. And you're like David in verse 3, and you're saying, my sin is ever before me. You're suffering tonight because of your sin, but maybe God's been speaking to you through his word. Maybe it's a family member that's invited you here. Maybe it's this preacher. Maybe it's the hymns that we've just sang to call you back to himself, to call you out on your sin. And God's giving you a chance, just like he did with, with David, through the prophet Nathan, to show you your sin and to show you the consequences of your sin. You need to cry out tonight. that like David it in verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Come back to the Father's arms Where he's waiting and willing to welcome you home. Maybe tonight you're not in either of those channels. Tonight you're a Christian. But maybe there's some pet sin. Some secret sin. Some sin in your life that's become that you've become desensitized to. Some sin that you've become... It has become acceptable to you, but it spoils your fellowship with God. A sin that keeps you from that closer walk with God. A sin that's a barrier to blessing in your own life or maybe in the life of this assembly. And, and tonight God's calling you and he's speaking loud and clear to you, that you need to confess it, that you need to mortify it, to put it to death. And in the words of the psalmist, you require God to create a clean heart within you. Wherever you are tonight, whatever your situation, whatever the sin, this psalm speaks to us all, this psalm speaks to us all tonight, preacher and hearer alike. I want you to say tonight that David had a personal problem, it was the curse of sin. You see, David has got the, gotten to the which end corner because of this sin. And now he's confessing it before the Lord and look how he describes his sin for he uses three different words to describe what he's done. Three synonyms for his sin. Look with me first of all at verse 1. For David asked the Lord to blot out my transgressions. That word transgression there, it literally means to step over a line. You see, God had uh, drawing a line in front of adultery in Exodus 20 verse 14 when he said thou shalt not commit adultery. Then in the New Testament the Lord Jesus he whitened the net if you like and in Matthew 5 28 he said if whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. David as he looked across from the palace of Jerusalem that night and when, he caught, when his eyes met Bathsheba, he had already committed adultery in his heart. That sin was all confessed to God. And then the sin of the, the eye and the sin of the heart soon become, became a sin of the flesh that he acted upon. He gave in and he had that one night stand with Bathsheba and now he's not only committed adultery in his heart, he's committed the act of adultery with him. He stepped over the line that God had drawn and he confesses here that he has transgressed. Not only had God said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but God had also said, thou shalt not bear false witness. And what has David done? He's lying to cover up that initial sin. He's broken another commandment. He's sinned another sin to cover up for his previous sin. Then thirdly, God said, thou shalt not murder. And David had Uriah murdered in cold blood to cover his sin. Do you see the pattern here of what sin does? Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you far more than you want to pay. I'm sure whenever David looked across at Bathsheba that night, he never imagined the time when he would commit adultery. Again. He never imagined that there would come a time whenever the king would betray one of his own men. Whenever he would have one of his own men murdered. But sin is a slippery slope that leads to destruction. And maybe tonight you've come in and you're near the bottom of the slope. You can testify that sin takes you farther than you ever imagined going. And tonight maybe you're in the pits of despair. And like David, you said, Lord, I've transgressed. I've stepped over the line that you have given to me and I've, I've jumped further over the line than what I ever imagined I would. i a But then come with me to verse 2 because David calls his sin it, which is this to, to, to twist or to pervert something. See, God has given humankind the gifts of marriage and all that's uh, this, uh, within a marriage. He's given the gift of truth and loyalty. He's given the gift of a man to a woman and a woman to a man. But David here, in his act of rebellion against God, he's twisted and perverted those gifts. He's perverted the marriage day and committed adultery. He twisted the truth. He had betrayed the loyalty of his own wife and indeed his subjects and he confesses that he's committed iniquity. But isn't that what sin does? It twists and it perverts the natural meaning. Today we call it an affair, God calls it adultery. Today we call it a mistake, God calls it sin. Today we call it equal marriage, God calls it an abomination. Today we call it love, God calls it lust. Today we call it a moment of redness, God calls it anger. Today we call it an error of judgment, God calls it iniquity. And right from the very beginning, Satan has been a perverter and a twister of all those things that God has called good. Remember in the Garden of Eden, God commanded the man, saying of, Every tree of the garden I mayest surely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou shalt eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You see, God had given parameters here for Adam and Eve's good, but Satan came into the garden and tempted Eve, and what did he say? Yea, have God said Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden. He questions God's word. And then he says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Satan led Eve to believe that God was withholding something good from them, and Satan does the exact same thing. Today. He perverts God's word, he perverts God's commandments, and he tells people that God is withholding goodness from them by giving them the commandments, by giving them his word. But tonight we know as Christians that God has given us those commandments to keep us from the terrible consequences of sin. David realized the perversion and the twisting. He realizes that he's committed iniquity, transgression. Mm-hmm. With it. but then come again with me to verse 2 because David calls his actions here sin sin literally means missing the mark it pictures the archer with the arno and he's missed the target the bible again describes it uh, by telling us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God we've missed the target of the glory of God sin is failing to do what God has created us for And sin is a word that we've lost today. We don't like to talk about it. As we thought about it, we come up with all sorts of different words to deflect away from. In his 1973 book, Whatever Became of Sin, a psychiatrist by the name of Marl Menninger wrote these words. The very word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was once a pride word. It was once a strong word, an ominous and a serious word. But the word went away. And it almost disappeared. The word along with the notion, why? Doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? Apostle Paul believed in sin and its consequences. He said the wages of sin is is death. In fact, he referred to himself as the chiefest of sinners. Remember the tax collector? He realized that he was a sinner. He cried, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. David believed in sin because he cried out to the Lord to cleanse me from my sin. David believed that he was a sinner by birth. with the first life He said, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin that my mother conceived me. David believed that he was born in sin, that he was born under sin, and he realized that that sin nature was inherited from the first Adam. Wonder who taught you to sin him? Nobody did. It's our own human nature. Because we're born under sin. David confesses that he's a sinner by birth, but he also knows that he's a sinner by practice. Look what he says in verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He starts to take responsibility for his sins because he realizes that he is a sinner by practice, that he has committed adultery with Bathsheba that he has lied about it that he has tried to cover it up that he had Uriah murdered in cold blood it was him, he was a sinner by practice wonder dear friend tonight do you admit that you're a sinner by practice you say Andrew I have never had an affair i never covered up a crime I've never committed murder alright, you lied of course you have you take him that extra 15 minutes that had not worked up the time then you stole you look at somebody else's car or someone else's house and wish you had it, then you caught it. And God's word tells us through James, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. We've all sinned. We've all got that in common tonight, whether you're saved or, or unsaved. Tonight we're all sinned. then by our birth condemned by our practice. And David confesses this to the Lord. He's he's committed transgressions. He's committed iniquities. He's committed sin. He's cursed by sin. But I want you to notice secondly tonight the consequences of sin. For throughout this Psalm David speaks of a number of consequences of sin. Now as I said already, David at this time he's a regenerate man. He's a man that the Acts of the Apostles describes as a man after God's own heart. He's had a personal relationship with the Lord. He's what we would refer to as a Christian. And I want you to see first of all the effects of sin in the life of a Christian. Look with me at verse 2. David says, wash me thoroughly. Cast your right eye down to verse 7. Purge me with this and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be lighter than snow. And in verse 10, create in me a clean heart. You see, sin soils the saint. Here's a king who bathed in his marble tongue. Here's a king who wore those royal robes. Here's a, a king that slept on silk sheets. He, he feels dirty. You see, it's not the body that's defiled, it's, it's the soul. Sin has soiled his soul and he felt he felt dirty. One of the ways that you know that you're a genuine believer tonight is asking yourself this. Do you feel dirty after you've sinned. Do you know there's no pig that has ever felt dirt? Things don't feel dirt. Now a sheep, they might feel dirty. A sheep will fall into the mud and want to get up and get out of it because that's not its nature, that's not its natural habitat. But there's no pig that has ever got up and said, ah, I'm dirty. It just doesn't feel it. No child of God with the Holy Spirit of God within him and can, can sin and not feel dirty under Christian friends and I do you feel the Spirit of God at this very moment speaking to you about a sin, bringing it to your mind that's unconfessed and undealt with. Then right here and right now confess it to the King of Kings and have it dealt with under the blood and thrown into the sea of God's forgetfulness. Sin soils is the sin but it also saturates the mind. Look at verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. All of that time, that year, David's sin is permanently etched in his mind. Night and day and day and night, the thing that David has done is etched into his consciousness and it reverberates through his soul. He couldn't get it out of his head. Whenever he's getting ready in the morning, his sin was ever before him. Whenever he went up to the palace to deal with the matters of the kingdom, his sin was before him. Every time he went up to the palace roof and he cast his eye over to Uriah's house, his sin was ever before him. Every went to sleep he had nightmares and then he woke up the next morning and there it was again on repeat. On his mind, day and night, night and day, my sin is ever before me. Acts Snyder tonight, is that we you are? Constantly haunted by what you've done or what you're doing and every waking moment your sin is ever before you. The living you're living tonight with the weight of sin around your neck and the consequences of sin is is dragging you down and like David you can cry out and say, My sin is ever before me. Is it not time you've got to confess and sort it out before the Lord? Ask him to forgive you, to release you from the shackles and set you free, and thank God He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Don't you want to be saved and free from that, that sin tonight? That's sin that saturates your mind. But come with me again to verse 4, because sin stings the conscience. He says, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in my sight. If you and I were to look at David's predicament through our human lens, who would we say that David had sinned against? Well, he had obviously sinned against Bathsheba, hadn't he? He'd sinned against himself and his own body. He'd sinned against his own his own wife, his children, against the whole kingdom. He had sinned against Uriah. But that's not even where David goes here. David goes right from the bottom line for the bottom line because ultimately he has sinned against God. Against me and the only have I sinned. David could cry out, My Lord and my God, that one, the one who has redeemed me the one who has loved me, the one who is my shepherd and my rock and my stay. Oh God, I've sinned against you. I've committed that sin in your sight. David realized that he had not only broken God's law, but that he had broken God's heart. And that's what broke David's heart. His conscience was smitten. Then I want you to see that sin condemns the sinner. David is already a saved man so he can't lose his salvation. I was very clear about that. Once saved, always saved. But he's a backstabbing man here. David has lost the joy of his salvation. He hasn't lost his salvation but he's lost the joy of his salvation in verse 12. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. want to know the most miserable man on earth tonight. The most miserable man on earth is not the unsaved man. The most miserable man on earth is the backslider, the one that's out of fellowship with God, the one that is a Christian but has sinned unconfessed and unforgiven in his life. He's far more miserable than an unsaved man, a man without Christ at all. For he's lost that joy that he's once known because of an unconfessed sin. David went up to the temple to worship, but he couldn't. They couldn't worship in spirit and in truth. The choir sang and he thought they were flat. The priests were too long. The servants were unfriendly. The building was either too hot or too cold. Everything had gone wrong in David's life because he had lost the joy of his salvation. Yet he still retained his salvation because the Bible tells us that no man can pluck a Christian out of the Lord's hand. David was a, a saved man. I wonder tonight you see I'm not asking you to go to church. I'm not asking you to give money to charity or do good around the community. All those things are wonderful. But do you see it? Do you see it by the blood of Christ? Have you had your sins dealt with by the Lord Jesus tonight? Have you received that clean heart that David talks about? That heart of flesh? Or are you what the Bible would describe you as, as as dead in trespasses and in sin? You are to die tonight. Without Christ, then the eternal consequences is that you're a condemned sinner for all eternity. Under tonight, do you grasp the reality of eternity? Do you grasp the brevity of eternity, the awfulness of going to a lost eternity? Do you realize tonight that the heaven game and the hell is shot? Do you realize that after death, it's appointed on the man, wants to die, and after this, the judgment it's an appointment that you cannot miss. It's an appointment that you cannot avoid. It's an appointment that you will either meet Christ there as your judge or as your advocate. Will you meet him as your saviour or as your condemner? I want to tell you tonight that sin that remains on with has eternal consequences. But there's been a way made so that you don't get the consequences of your sin. So that I don't get the consequences of my sin. Here's so many people talking about justice today, don't we? You know what justice is? It's getting what we deserve. Aye, if we receive justice for our sins tonight, we'd be condemned. There'd be no remedy, there'd be no hope. But instead of God giving us justice, He offers us grace and He offers us mercy. He gives us what we don't deserve because He's a God who is rich in mercy. And David goes and he appeals to the mercy of God and he confesses this sin to God because he knows that there's cleansing for sin. Look at how he appeals to the Lord in verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitudes of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. He really appeals here to the attributes of God. He knew that God is loving, or rather better translated that he has a multitude of compassion. David realized here that he was a great sinner, that he needed a great Savior, that that Savior loved him, that Savior was tender towards him, who was rich in mercy. And all the while David was in that place of lament, during that year in the spiritual wilderness, God was still compassionate to him. God still showed him his, his loving kindness, God was still tender with him. And David knew that when he approached God, that for great sin there's greater grace. I want to tell you tonight that there's still great grace for your sin. You say, I you don't know what I've done. You don't know the depths that I've stood. You don't know that the corner that I'm in tonight. I want to tell you tonight that His grace is greater than all of your sin. If only you repent and come to Him. David came to the Lord and knew that our great God, that He was faithful and just to forgive Him for His sins. And how does he do it? Well, cast your eye down to verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The hyssop branch would have been very familiar to those reading this early text whenever David had written it. It was a very common bush or branch that grows in the Holy God. grows out of the walls around that particular area, and because of its leafy texture and its ability to absorb a liquid very well, it was commonly used as an applicator or a brush, especially during those Old Testament ceremonies. The branch would have been used for healings during the plague and to heal the, the leprosy. But primarily it's spoken in terms of cleansing. Especially around the Passover time, whenever there was the sprinkling of the blood or the application of the blood. See, David knew the only way that he was going to be forgiven and cleansed from his sin was by the blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Do you want to be cleansed tonight? Do you want those sins tonight which are as scarlet to be as white as snow? And those sins, though they're red like crimson, to be as wool. Do you want the assurance of sins forgiven? Home and heaven, a relationship with God? Then you have to come to the cross. You have to be saved by the man who hung on that center cross, who shed his precious blood so that you and I could be saved, so that you and I could be made clean. The only begotten Son of God, who came all the way from heaven for you and I, so that we could be forgiven. No matter what sin you've committed tonight, how low you have sank, how far you have gone he tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son cleanses us from all sin the devil will tell you tonight there's no hope, he'll tell you that there's no remedy, that God is, is finished with you, friend, he's a liar for that great sin, there's great grace there's great cleansing and you can be cleansed tonight, David was and tonight there's still room at the cross for you If only you'll come through that blood sprinkled way. Whether you're a backslider, whether you're an or even tonight as a professing Christian, messing about and mulling up and saying, dear friend, there's room, there's sufficiency at the cross tonight. And you can leave this building tonight singing the greatest words ever penned by a hymn writer. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. O oh my soul, won't you come down tonight while there's still room, while there's still time? David did. And David, was, as we found out this morning, was one of the great kings because he was a man after God's own heart. May God bless his word to our hearts tonight. Let's just pray very quickly. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this message to our hearts tonight. And we realize the high cost of sin tonight. So great that it sent the Savior to that middle cross, where he died, bled and died for rebels such as we. And Father, we thank you for the day and hour that you saved so many of us. But Father, we're conscious tonight that there may be still those tonight in the building or watching online that still don't know you as Savior. May you give them the grace to come. May the Spirit strive with them tonight and give them no the rest until they've got the same question dealt with. Father, for the backslider tonight, would you speak to them? Would you bring them back with their first love? Restore unto them the joy of thy salvation. And Father, for those of us as your children. May there be no sin between us and thee. May there be no barrier to blessing. May we confess it all to thee. And may there be no sin over this place tonight that hasn't been dealt with by the precious blood of Christ. In whose name we pray.